points with Jesus, 945 and then 1115. So we want to encourage you to, uh, to be a part of that. But we're in week three of our series, Built Different. And we're, what we're doing in the series is we're learning how to get stronger from the inside out. And what I've been endeavoring to do is to clarify for you and, and, and take the mystery out of how we get stronger on the in, inside. And Last week, I, I began with this illustration. I'm, I'm going to just revisit it at the beginning of this message so we can all be on the same page. But it was to illustrate this truth that we see in Scripture. And I've referenced this verse last week. It's 1 Thessalonians 5.23. This is what it says when, when Paul was praying for the church in Thessalonica. He said this to them. Let's look at it together. He says, may the God who gives peace. How many of you want peace? Some of you, may the God who gives peace make you holy in every way. May he keep your whole being, spirit, soul, and body blameless when our Lord Jesus Christ comes. In other words, he's praying that your soul would be free, that your soul would be holy, that your soul would be healthy and we're talking about the issues of the soul. So that's what this illustration is. He says, keep your whole being, spirit, soul, and body. This container here is to illustrate this. this. This glass container is our body. And on the inside, we have the water. Water represents the spirit of man. I mentioned this last week, but Scripture often refers to the spirit as water. It, it talks about how the spirit of a man is like deep waters. And so we have the, the water here, which is our spirit. And then inside of this, this netting here is our soul. Now our soul is made up of three parts. It's a trinity within a trinity. We have our mind, our will, and our emotions. So what happens is when we place our faith in Jesus... We accept what he's done for us on the cross. Scripture tells us that we are made new. And it tells us that the Holy Spirit comes in and fills our life. And the Holy Spirit is joined with our spirit. This, this red here is representing the Holy Spirit. I was using blue. I switched to red. We're washed in the blood. So we've, we've got the, we've got the, the Holy Spirit Filling our spirit, joined with our spirit. Different spirit, it's not our spirit, but he's joined to our spirit, and he begins to transform us from the inside out. But the point that I was making that I wanted you to grab as we build on this today is that while your spirit is made new, your spirit is transformed, your soul has to be trained. Your spirit is transformed, but your soul has to be trained. And I'm, I'm trying to help you see why sometimes we have these problems. It's like, I accepted Christ. I thought I was a new creation. I thought the old things were passed away. All things have become new. Why is it I'm still dealing with these negative thoughts? Why is it I still have these deviant tendencies? Why, why is it I still feel emotionally discouraged? It's because we haven't trained 
our soul. Your soul's got to be trained. And to do this, I want us to look at a verse of Scripture today. It's found in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. This is going to be our main text for today. Because I, I wanted to illustrate the value of your soul and for you to begin to understand what we're going to look at here in Proverbs 4.23. says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. So the heart of man is everything on the inside. And he says, keep your heart with all diligence. I want you to know how this stuff works. And maybe I'm, I'm oversimplifying it, but the, the idea is, is this. If you know yourself, you can grow yourself. If you know how God made you to work, you can begin to develop in the thing that he has for you. And so what I want you to see is that you are the keeper of your soul. No one else can do it for you. Last week, I told you before I started my message that you could tell your neighbor, the person you're sitting next to, that this message is for you, that I was talking to them. I'm going to change it up a little bit today. All right, I want you to look at the person next to you, you know, be kind, be friendly, and just say, hey, this message is for me. This message is for me. This message is for me. But you can turn it back to them or turn to somebody else home. But you probably need it too. All right. Okay. I want to use this text, Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. To talk to you today about the habits of a healthy heart. The habits of a healthy heart. Anytime you talk about habits... I can sometimes hear a little groan come from some of you because we all know that healthy habits are important, but they're not so easy to form, are they? Like we know the things that we should do, but it's not always so easy to, to do them. And, and I think it's because like, you know, habits, you don't see the results overnight. And the way we change, really, it's through small changes. Like, nobody just wakes up one morning and says, you know what, today I'm going to be a kale-eating, marathon-running machine. It just doesn't happen. I don't even know why you would want to eat kale, but it doesn't work that way. The way change happens in our life is just small steps. Like, like the way I begin to form healthy habits is, you know, today... I'm going to eat a salad. Then I'm going to reward myself with a donut for being so health conscious. It's, I don't know, you, like my healthy habits, it's always around food. Like that's my, my struggle. Like my idea of a balanced diet is like a burger in one hand and a taco in the other. I'm balanced out. I, I, me making a good decision is like, you know, I'm not going to eat the whole pizza today. I'm just going to eat half of it. I'll put broccoli on a cheese pizza. That's broccoli and cheese. I'm just trying to get the veggies in there. But Healthy habits are, are hard to form, and it's be, because we don't see the immediate results. Like, like, the fruit of a habit is only seen over a long period of time. And you could say it this way, that, that good habits 
are the things no one sees that produce the results that everybody wants. That's what, what good habits are. And in that regard, it's a lot like our soul. That's what Proverbs 4.23 tells us, that it's the part of you that's invisible that actually impacts and influences the parts of your life that are observable. It's the stuff that no one sees that produces what everybody wants. It's, it's the condition of your heart. And what we need to grab hold of is that a lot of the things in our life are really just symptoms of a deeper-rooted soul issue. We got to get healthy on the inside. And so what I want to do to help you today is, is to return to a verse we looked at last week. I'm going to give a little more context. We'll look at it in a little more detail. It's found in Psalm 42. And in Psalm 42, the psalmist is in a challenging time. He's distressed. Now, it's not certain, but most theologians and scholars attribute this psalm to David. And they believe that David was writing this psalm when he was on the run, fleeing for his life, hiding out in the wilderness, hiding out in the desert. And if you look at this psalm, he begins by saying, why are you downcast, O my soul? Well, you think about it. If anybody ever had an excuse to be downcast, to be distressed, to be discouraged, David would qualify. I mean, at this point in David's life, he had been in the palace, but he, he, he's lost that ability. The king in power wants to kill him. The people closest to him have abandoned him. He, he's got no support. He's got no comforts. He's being maligned. He, he's being defamed. He's being mistreated. He's struggling to survive. And so when he asks the question, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? I expect that he's going to begin to list out the reasons why. Well, I'll tell you why. Isn't it obvious? Everybody hates me. People want me dead. I used to be in the palace. Now I'm living in a cave. Why am I downcast? It's because of my situation. If I had a different situation, I would feel a lot different. If I had different experience, different circumstance, I, I wouldn't be responding the way I'm responding. But David doesn't respond that way. I think he's going to begin to explain why he's entitled to feel the way that he feels. But instead, he does something that's kind of mysterious. Look at what he does next. He, he says, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And within this psalm, this one verse, we find a little exercise that David goes through that I want to teach you today. And we find it just in his words of how you can begin to train your soul. And the first thing I notice David does is he begins to read his soul. Because the first habit of a healthy heart, the first thing you have to do is to read it. Read it. Say read it. Read it. You, you, you got to read it. And 
when I say read it, what, what I mean, I, I'm talking about situational awareness. And what's funny is, like, sometimes my sermons just live in me for the week because they, they find a way of coming out in different ways. This must have been on my heart and on my mind because I had this same conversation with my oldest son, Reese, yesterday. Except I, I wasn't his disposition. I was talking about his driving. Reese is 17 years old. He got his license. He just turned 17 recently. He, he just got his license. And, you know, there's just a difference between dads and moms. Like, I'm like, hey, he's got his license. He's legal. He can, you know, give him the keys, let him go. Well, his mom, on the other hand, is like, he, you know, just make sure he's got experience. Better make sure he, he's, he's okay. And, and so, you know, I don't tell her. But most of the time I just let him drive and, and do what he wants to do. But I was with him yesterday. And we were in the car. And, and he, he's driving, and, and he's a good driver. He, he knows the rules of the road. But even though he knows the rules of the road, he hasn't quite yet learned to read the road. And there's a difference between knowing the rules of the road, being able to read the road. Like, you might know the rules, and you might know that that sign says 70 miles an hour, and you are not supposed to go above that speed limit. But knowing that the sign says 70 miles an hour and that's the speed limit isn't going to help you if you don't know that when it's raining, you might hydroplane. You got to learn to read the road. It's one thing to know what the lines mean and and staying in your lane, but you got to be able to read the road when there's an obstacle in your way and how to respond accordingly. And, And a lot of us, we know the rules, like we've learned how to function. We know what we're supposed to do and know how we're supposed to interact, but we've never learned to read our soul. And then we wonder why we're going through the motions, doing what we normally do, and end up in a crash with major consequences because we've never learned to read our soul. You got to read it. Reading, reading your soul. What's, what's going on in me? Why am I so sad? Why am I so insecure? Why am I so stubborn? Why am I so down on myself? Why am I disturbed with this? Why am I stressed out? Why is this bothering me? Why am I having a pity party, feeling sorry, reading your soul? is having an awareness of your internal self, your thoughts, attitudes, feelings, motives, and desires. What's interesting, we're looking at David, but Paul would say something similar to the Galatian church. When he was writing to the church in Galatia, he told them, make a careful exploration of who you are. You got to examine yourself. On the inside, you got to take inventory of what's happening. I'm I'm made new here, but there's there's some stuff going on here, and I got to figure figure it out. Now, what's interesting to me is when we look at David, he acknowledges where he's at, but he refuses to identify with it. He, He reads his soul, but he reads it so that he can redirect it. And I want you to notice that in 
everything he's saying, why are you downcast? Why are you disturbed? Why are you distressed? Why are you discouraged? The whole reason he's doing that isn't so that he can identify and clarify the cause. That's not what he does. The reason he's asking the question is so he can move towards the cure. And until you acknowledge what is going on, you can't change it. Until you take responsibility for it, it will never be different. That's what I'm trying to help you with today is you're not trying to just, well, obviously everything that's happened. No, it's not what's the cause. It's to acknowledge where you're at so you can move on from it. You got to acknowledge it. And if you don't know this, like our soul is pretty good about passing blame. Have you noticed that? Now, this is nothing new. This has been going on from the beginning of time. But (laughs) our soul is pretty good about passing blame. I've just noticed like in the last five years or so, it's become a lot more culturally acceptable, socially permissible. It's become a little bit more encouraged, vogue to, to pass blame. I'll show you what I mean. Like, you know, if, if something happens to you and you feel a certain way, you respond a certain way, you're thinking a certain thing, all you have to do is just say you were triggered. Now, I know I'm triggering some of you just by saying this. <laughs> but think about what you're doing. When you say that you're triggered, very popular word. You're saying it's your responsibility for how you made me feel. It's what happened that provoked this response. You're not taking any responsibility. I'm triggered. I can't right now. I'm so triggered. Okay, let me share with you a verse of scripture that no Christian seems to know. You're going to love this. It's in Psalm 119, 165. It says, great peace have they who love your law. Nothing shall offend them. I'll just read it again. Nothing shall offend them. Now, Admittedly, that's a high bar. But what I'm trying to help you recognize is that when you know your soul, that you are the keeper of your soul, that you are responsible for what's going on in here, then you begin to understand God's will for your life. And it's not that you'll never feel offended. But it's that with God's help and with God's power, you don't have to live offended. It's not that you'll never feel discouraged. David feels downcast. But with God's help and God's power, you don't have to stay discouraged. It's not that you'll never feel pressure or experience regret, but with God's help, In God's power, you don't have to live there. Your your spirit's transformed, but your your soul has to be trained. And I know it hurts, but I'm trying to help you. You can move forward. 
from where you're at. You don't have to stay where you're at. You can read it, you can acknowledge it, but you don't have to identify with it. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Put your hope in God. We're getting to the next step because once you read it, then you can begin to, this is step two, how do you train your soul? You gotta feed it. You gotta feed it. You read it and then you feed it. How do you train your soul? You read it, then you feed it. We see this in Psalm 42. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Now, what's interesting is right before he says this, the previous verse, he tells us, my tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? In other words, what he's been feeding on is everything that's gone wrong. What he's been feeding on is how people have hurt him. What he's been feeding on is his tears and his pain and what hasn't gone his way. That's been the food for his soul. But now he's given himself something new to chew on. And I want you to notice how he does it. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Let me break this down for you. He says, put your hope in God. That is an imperative statement, a little English lesson. That is a command. He's saying, I am telling you, we are making this choice. This has to do with his will. I know how I feel. Right now I feel discouraged. Right now I feel down. Right now this isn't something that I want to do. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. It's not what I want. It's what you want. God, you have commanded me. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to practice obedience in this case. Put your hope in God. It's what you've told me to do. So I am making the decision. I am choosing to trust you. I am choosing to put my hope in you. Let's talk about hope. What is hope? Hope involves your mind. He's saying, I'm involving my thoughts in this. I want you to begin, soul, to think about the good that God is going to do. I, I want you to use your, your memory to remember God's faithfulness in the past. Remember the promises that he said. And begin to envision and imagine a good future. You, you know, the truth is, that's all anxiety is. Anxiety is imagining the worst case scenario. Imagining everything that could go wrong imagining all the problems. He's saying, stop being so anxious. Imagine the good that God can do. Put your hope in God. Put your mind there. So he, he gets his will involved. He gets his mind involved. And he says, yet will I praise him. Talking about his emotions. He says, I, I, I know what I want to do, how I feel. is to be downcast but I am going to direct my emotions. I'm going to lead them. I, I'm gonna tell them where to, this is the path that I want you to go down. He, he begins to direct his emotions and what you see is that he's involving his mind, will, and emotions in this process. What I'm trying to help you see is that the food for your soul is not simply reading the Bible. The food for your soul is not simply coming to church. The food for your soul is not simply more prayer. All of that's good. I recommend it. 
But food for your soul is right thoughts, right choices, right emotions. When, when you feed your soul, what you are doing is directing it towards thoughts, choices, and emotions that are true, helpful, encouraging, and beneficial. Paul put it this way in a letter he wrote to the Philippian church. He said, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's of a good report, if there's any virtue or any praise, look at this, exercise yourselves in these things. I, ch I chose this translation because it has the word exercise. <laughs> you got to exercise yourself. Now, if you've like grown up in church or maybe you've heard this verse before, lots of times we've heard it as think on these things. And, and that's okay. But the reason you see it translated a little differently is, is because th this word is implying you've got to take some stuff in. You've got to make it part of you. You've got to dwell on this. You've got to consume this. You have to avail yourself to it. Exercise it. That means you've you got to grab hold of the proclamations of God's word that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. God is for me. God is with me. God is by my side. Thanks be to God who always causes me to triumph. I, I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I can have what God says I can have. No weapon formed against me will prosper. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You've got to grab hold of those proclamations, and the reason you have to hold on to it is because our soul naturally grabs hold of negativity. Now, I don't know why this is, but it's this way. We've all experienced it. A person, 10 people, can give you 10 different compliments. And one person comes to you and says, your hair looks funny. <laughs> and all you can think about is your hair or the fact that you don't have any. One of those things. And it doesn't matter... How many good things? You, you're focused on the one thing. It's interesting, like, this, this illustration, when our team put it together, figuring out how to do it, you know, these are, giving away my secrets now, these are wooden blocks. And a uh, little science lesson, I don't know if you know this, wood floats in water. So I had to figure out a way to, like, to keep these weighted down so that they didn't float to the top. But I was thinking about how our soul's natural tendency is to resist the things of the Spirit. Our, our soul's natural tendency is to drift towards what the Bible calls the things of the flesh. It, it, it's natural. It, it happens. And the, the point I'm trying to help you see is we hold on to things that take up space in our life. We hold on to bitterness we, we hold on to anger. We, we hold on to regret and shame and criticism and pain and anger and skepticism. But God wants to fill your soul with good things. 
That's why if you want to train your soul, you have to read it. If you want to train your soul, you have to feed it. But, but here's the last one. You want to train your soul, you have to weed it. Say, say weed, it. weed it. All right, now this is not like code for chill out kind of thing. It's not. I know we live in a college town. That's not what I'm talking about. It's a different, different weeding. I'm saying like your soul is a garden. We're talking about getting stronger from the inside out. Let me just, I'll, since I brought it up, I'll just talk about it. Like God's design for you is, is not to try to transform the inside of you, train the inside of you from the outside in. Like if th- there's no substance that can satisfy your soul. And I'll just say this for, for those of you that since I got off it, like if that's how you're trying to calm your soul, that, that's not God's heart for you. you you're, you're trying to solve a problem externally that can only be solved internally. So because you have stuff in your life that is crowding out what God wants to put in, you have to get that stuff out. You have to uproot it. This comes from scripture in in Hebrews. The writer says, watch out that no bitterness takes root among you. For as it springs up, it causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual lives. Hebrew culture, any poisonous plant was called a bitter plant. So what he's saying is, when you let stuff take root in your soul, your soul holds on to it, and you let that stuff get stuck there and stay there, that is poison. It is toxic, and it will mess up your relationship with God. You have to uproot it. You have to weed it. You you have to take it out. Now, I know maybe not all of us are, you know, agricultural people. Let's just think about this practically. Think about your house. All of us have that one room. Could be your garage your basement, your closet. Even if you are a hyper-organized person, I guarantee you have that one junk drawer. We've all got that place that it just accumulates stuff. And at some point, you gotta empty that stuff out. You gotta clean it out. You, You gotta clear it out. And to have a healthy soul, you gotta empty out the negative, to make room for the good things that God wants to put in. Let's look at our key verse one more time. Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it flows the issues of life. If you think somebody else can do this for you, you are kidding yourself. It's your responsibility. You are the keeper of your soul. Somebody else is not gonna cheer you up. Somebody else is not gonna calm you down. You have to tend to, take care of, guard, keep, your soul. And when we fail to take care of our soul, this is where negative cycles get passed down from one generation to the next. See, sometimes what we struggle with didn't begin with us, didn't start with us. You didn't choose the home you grew up in. You didn't choose the street you grew up on. You didn't choose your mom and dad. You didn't choose their choices and sometimes bad choices and the result and experience of those choices. The Bible calls those things iniquities. 
And there is a lot of stuff in you that you didn't ask for. But the good news is, no matter what is in your soul, it doesn't have to stay there. You can lead your soul to a better place. You can raise your children different. You can be the man that your father wasn't. And what was passed down does not have to be passed on. With God's help, you can lay aside the curse. You can take hold of the blessing. But you got to get rid of the shame. You got to have a mindset that is the mind of Christ. You got to say no to that other mindset. You got to get rid of stuff that would discourage you from being who God has called you to be. I love it when we share testimonies in the church. Brooklyn's testimony was awesome today. But here's the truth that's just a small sample. Everybody in here, God's not done with you yet. God has more for your life. And if you've got some pain in your life, you've got some stuff in your life that you're discouraged about, you're embarrassed about, you'd rather hide, you'd rather people not know about, guess what? Welcome to the human race. That, that is part of being human. But you don't have to stay there. God wants you to, to move on. He has more for you. But to get there, you got to train your soul. What do you got to do? You got to read it. You got to feed it. You got to weed it. Let me just show you one more thing David said, Psalm 42.4. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. What's he saying? I'm not letting this stuff stay in there. I, I'm getting the stuff out so I can let the right stuff in. What kind of stuff is stuck in your heart today? What kind of stuff is stuck in your soul? Is it anger? Is it guilt? Is it shame? Resentment? regret, don't keep it, don't hold on to it. God wants to fill you, God wants to help you. Let's make the decision, we're gonna care for our soul today. We're not gonna stay where we started, we're gonna move on. We're gonna give, we're gonna serve, we're gonna take responsibility. We're gonna be the caretakers of our 